we're all finished with Galatians. <laughs> oh, stop clapping. That wasn't Come on now. A couple of years ago, I read an article in the Washington Post. Um, some of you may have heard me talk because I've been thinking about it really for like two years. This interesting um, article about this non-scientific experiment, a social experiment, it was played out on uh, the D.C. Metro subway. The uber-famous violinist Joshua Bell spent an hour in a D.C. Metro station playing his heart out to a mostly uncaring rush-hour crowd. The violinist, who makes upwards of $1,000 a minute on stage, made $32 in that hour in the metro, which is actually not bad for a busker. The point of the article, which won a Pulitzer Prize, more or less was that, there, that we are getting less and less able to recognize beauty when it is right in front of us. Curiously, one demographic that gets particular attention in the article is parents with small children in tow. In the hour that Bell played, every single parent with a child walked by without stopping, often tugging their unwilling children along, hurrying off to do those things that needed to be done. On one hand, I get it. The article makes me very sad, especially on behalf of our children who didn't and perhaps won't ever get the chance to see someone like Joshua Bell in a subway station. It's a terrible state of affairs that we're in. Too busy to appreciate music, or any art, really, as we rush from one thing to the next, dragging our kids along with us. On the other hand, the premise that if music or beauty or art is offered freely and easily, everyone should drop what they're doing and enjoy it immediately, or else we're not paying attention, doesn't take into account some of the most basic and obvious factors of my daily life and the daily lives of other people that I know and love. The most primary factor it doesn't take into account with its rather precious finger wagging is that most of us, we're doing the best we can. I would like to think that my kids and I would have stopped to listen to Mr. Bell. I certainly would have wanted to. We would have stopped and listened and danced and clapped. We have to far lesser buskers thumping on a pickle tub in the park before. But I also know that that, that particular morning might have been the one that I was on my third strike of the month for being late to my daughter's preschool class, an offense that could get us kicked out of the program. It might have been that morning when I was in charge of the early Eucharist, on my way to be part of beauty of another kind my rushing, joyful to get here. To say that I don't always have time is trite, but I live a full and interesting and busy life. I have to make choices. Sometimes they're obvious. Sometimes they're painful. Sometimes they are self-serving. But the truth is there are simply not enough hours in the day for all of the opportunity that God provides me. And I know that this is true for many of you. On to our parable. We've all heard that familiarity breeds contempt. 
And if I am honest with you, my friends, I kind of feel that way about the Good Samaritan. I have read and worked with and studied and written about this parable more times than I care to count. It has more or less become a rallying cry for liberal Christianity. It has also become the backdrop for a lot of finger-wagging of its own. See the outcast, nobody Samaritan, doing good work while the clergy pass haughtily by. Put another way, if you were a good Christian, you would have stopped to help. I think this story has been abused every which way, and I'm a little tired of it. The abuse, not the story. I am, in fact, tired of anything from the Bible that is used to cast aspersions and point fingers at those of us who are wrong. The root lesson from the story of the Good Samaritan is that we are to love one another, to be kind and gentle and giving, but that message risks being buried alive as a useless cliche if we piously nod our heads at the message to love and then sneer at the priest and the Levite who walk by. What then is the lesson? Love one another so long as the other is always doing the right thing. Love one another so long as the other is lovable. I don't think it works. So here's what I would like to offer you this time around. Let's let those passers-by off the hook. For today's reading of the Good Samaritan, let's imagine for a little while that Jesus' lesson was not simply about being a good neighbor, but about judgment and how not to cast it about randomly. And actually, this argument has been applied to this parable before. The story of the Good Samaritan is the original Don't Judge a Book by Its Cover story. The title alone at that time when it was told would have raised eyebrows. Seriously, it is not possible for a Samaritan to be good. This was a whole race of unbelievers. They were a blight to the faithful and pious Jews. The Samaritan is the original marginalized from a race of dirty, rotten nobodies. The Samaritan would have been the last person expected to help. But Jesus debunks that right there. Listeners were supposed to learn how not to judge even a Samaritan. Jesus' original audience would have been shocked that someone such as this could conceivably make a positive contribution to society. For those in Jesus' day, the expectation is that the holy men would have run to the aid of the injured man and the no-good Samaritan would have passed on by. But that's not how it happened. We know that. And we should learn from this not to judge people by background or race, but by action. Who is your neighbor? Yes, even the unexpected Samaritan is your neighbor. Now... Now we live in that time and place where in Christian parlance, Samaritan is equated with utmost goodness. The one who helps. The one who shows up in a critical situation and acts as a balm, a resource, an unexpected blessing. And that reputation is good and deserved and holy. We need those models in the church. 
We need something to look to and say, that right there, that is how to love one another. What we don't need is more targets for our contempt, which is what the priest and the Levite have somehow become. The Samaritan has become the model for Christian behavior. The other two have become the paragons of unchristian behavior. They who walked by on the other side to help. Uh, They who walked by. They who did not stop to help. They who are hypocrites. They are cold, unfeeling, uncaring. Textually, I would like to point out that it is not Jesus who makes this distinction. Jesus simply lets us know that those two guys didn't help. That's all. Jesus makes no judgments at all about them. He doesn't even mention them after they cross the street. It is we who have pitted them against the Samaritans. It is we who need to make ourselves feel better, who need to point to a bad guy, who need to measure ourselves up to something lesser than, who have created in them the fall guys for all of Christianity. And yet the lesson here is to love one another. The story of the Good Samaritan reminds me of the social experiment with Joshua Bell in this way. We can stop and look at this story and think of all those who have walked by, passing up the opportunity to better themselves. We can shake our heads and know piously that we certainly would have stopped to appreciate that violinist or to have helped in any way we can. Too bad they are not as good Christians as we are. Or, we can choose to read this story and look at those who stopped and think, good for them. I hope that God gives me the opportunity to stop and listen and serve and love. Period. The article about Joshua Bell and the subway rubs me in the wrong way, the same way as the misinterpretation of the priest and the Levite do. We are pinning motives to people we know nothing about. We are not friends going to hell in a handbasket because a thousand people walked by a master violinist playing in the subway at rush hour. I agree. We could all use a little more time to appreciate free beauty all around us. But subway stations are not concert halls. They are places of transit. Folks are rushing about because maybe they lingered at the door that morning for one last kiss. Or they're rushing to get home to get the kids to go to the playground. Or perhaps they're trying to make it to the 8 p.m. symphony performance of Joshua Bell. (laughs) The fact is, we don't know why people didn't stop to listen to Mr. Bell. We don't know why the priest and the Levite didn't stop either, but to assume it is because they are cold and heartless or lacking in beauty and then judge them based on those those assumptions, that is not a response of love. And it's not gospel. The message of the Good Samaritan is to love each other. It means to stop and help those in need. It means to share beauty when we see it in action. It also means we need to find a way to love those who are not obviously lovable. 
to be gentle to those who may be struggling, whether we know it or not, to reserve judgment from those who outwardly may seem to deserve judgment. And here is my 11th hour addendum. Literally. Last night at 11 o'clock, after reading way too much after the Trayvon Martin verdict, I came back to my sermon, wondering if I needed to change it in light of that verdict. Wondering if the Good Samaritan had anything else to say in light of the desperate and painful racial divide that continues to scar our great country again and again and again. And I decided, no. Except for this addendum, I didn't change my sermon. Because I still believe that the call of the Good Samaritan is for kindness and gentleness. And for God's sake, love above all else. Love to those who are weeping. Love to those who are crying out for justice. Love to those who see no problem with this state of affairs. I am not calling you into being a doormat for love. Love, as we know, is the most powerful force on earth and beyond. I am calling you to answer hate with love, to answer misunderstanding with love, to answer injustice with fierce, abiding, unconquerable love. No one ever said following Jesus was easy. Go and do likewise.